is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, the, the Haystack Show Yo. with Mike Guido. And it's Wednesday. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer. Good to have you in here on a Wednesday. Uh, absolutely loaded today. Winners and losers coming up uh, at about noon in hour number two. Uh, brand new guest today at 1230. Uh, good friend of mine, Barrington Grant, joining us uh, at 1230. Play is he worth it at the end of the show? But I do uh, want to begin with this. Things change in the NFL constantly. They do. It, it is. It, this is a week by week league, and this is the way that we. Do, you know, it, we're kind of getting into the point now in the season where we're starting to judge who's actually in it, who's actually not in it. Um, you know where teams are going to lie in the playoff hunt. It, it, it's. It's getting pretty evident now where teams are going to be stacking up. Um, so I noticed this weekend, okay, the game this weekend was Ravens and 49ers. And what we saw was it was a very close game, very good game. It absolutely delivered on what was expected. Ravens came out on top in this game. So I kind of want to shed some light on the situation for San Francisco. Because we all know that right now, right now to me, Baltimore is the best team in the NFL. They, they run the football well. They have the MVP of the league. They have a great defense. They're fixing their holes in the point of that where they needed a lockdown corner, they got a lockdown corner. They have the best secondary in football. They're getting after the quarterback. They have a great offensive line. They're extremely well coached. Everybody knows right now that Baltimore is... I would say, the team to beat in the NFL. So the question remains about San Francisco. Now, I ranked them second yesterday in my top ten for the NFL to, uh, for NFL teams. I do want to bring this up, though. San Francisco next week, this upcoming week, is on the road against New Orleans. And New Orleans, to me, is the third best team in the NFL – We could probably judge this right now. My four best teams in the NFL right now are Baltimore, San Francisco, New Orleans, and Seattle. Those are the four best teams in the league. But I want to bring this up. San Francisco is going on the road to New Orleans. They have to win this weekend. They have to win this weekend. This is not a game where they can get away with the excuse of Oh, it's a tough game. Drew Brees, Sean Payton in New Orleans, the Saints in the Superdome, really hard to play. This is not going to work this week. It isn't going to work. And the reason being is because I'm not going to tell you that it's a bad loss. Okay, if San Francisco goes into New Orleans and loses, it's expected. I'm not calling it a bad loss. But like I said, this is a changing league. Our feeling on San Francisco gets a lot different if they lose to New Orleans this weekend. A lot different. So instead of thinking, oh, San Francisco, they are just, the 49ers, they are so good, that it's schematically perfect, and 
They're into, you know, they're beating teams left and right. They're the best thing since sliced bread. All, all of this stuff. Instead, our feeling is, okay, well, yes, they're 10-3, and three, but they lost to Seattle at home. They've lost to Baltimore, and then they've lost to New Orleans. Um, so the three teams that we're talking about that they absolutely need to beat, they're not beating. They're, they're, they're falling a little bit short. Now, Seattle was a good game. Baltimore was a good game. And we're going to see if New Orleans this weekend is a good game. I'm assuming it will be. They're going to get after the quarterback. They're going to play well against this defense. I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. But my feeling on San Francisco and all of our feelings on San Francisco would shift. The, The story changes for the 49ers just simply by losing this weekend. So, and in fairness, nobody's going to have a tougher two weeks whole season in a row than what the 49ers have laid out in front of them, right? Baltimore on the road and then New Orleans on the road. That's really, really tough. So I'm sitting here right now, and I'm thinking to myself, God, well, they're already the five seed in the NFC. And Seattle is scoring 37 points on that Minnesota Vikings defense. Look, like I said, I love San Francisco still. But I don't think I'm crazy for having a little bit of pause today. I don't think I'm crazy. I still think they're schematically brilliant. I still think that they're extremely well coached. I still think they have the best front seven in football. But like I said... If the NFL is changing every week, and we know that, then they lose this weekend against New Orleans. That's two straight losses against one, uh, two of the top three teams in the NFL where you are supposed to be considered. And my mind is not supposed to change a little bit. And then they've got, you know, they're going to have to get have a chance to rebound against Atlanta and the Rams, which I do think that they're going to be able to win their home in both of those games. But then they go back on the road to Seattle to close out the season. Again, we'll see where this shakes out. But our feeling on San Francisco could very easily change within the next couple of days if the Niners lose to New Orleans in New Orleans this weekend. It could very well shift. They're supposed to be of the upper echelon. But if they're not beating anybody from the upper echelon, then our mind does have to do a little bit of work. It does have to, you know, kind of exercise a little bit. And we got to ask ourselves, all right, well, are they, are the 49ers, because I don't think there's a question that they're legit, but... Are they of that, you know, upper tier of teams? we got to ask ourselves that. And our minds can change. This is the turning point here for the 49ers. I shouldn't say turning point, but this is the statement for the 49ers that they can make. They beat New Orleans in New Orleans. We get it now. They're good. They're legit. And they, they, you can put nothing past them anymore. They lose to New Orleans. 
our feeling might have to change a little on how we feel about San Francisco going forward. Okay. Uh, I also want to get into this because uh, this conversation is starting, and I can't believe it is because I think it's the dumbest decision that anybody could make, uh, and I really hope that he isn't actually considering it. Tua Tagovailoa needs to enter the NFL draft. He needs to. There is no other option if he ever considered going back to college It would be the dumbest decision of his life. Think about this for a second. The reason we're saying that Tua Tagovailoa should go back into, should go back to Alabama, playing college football for another year, is because his draft stock, because of the injury, has fallen a little bit. Okay? Nobody's questioning the talent today. It's nine games, he's completed 71.5% of his throws. He's thrown 33 touchdowns and three picks. He is absolutely crushing it in college. The talent is there. The numbers are there. People think he's special the whole bit. The only problem is is the injuries. So why would he go back to college and risk getting hurt again? This is what I don't understand. There is a massive difference between what I think is best for him and what I would have respect for him for. My respect for Tua Tagovailoa, not that I would take anything away from him if he didn't do this, but my respect for Tua Tagovailoa would skyrocket if he went to college for another year. I am a huge fan of the Justin Herberts of the world that go back as seniors to try to give it one more shot at the national title. I'm a huge fan of that because it is selfless. But listen, I'd be lying to you if I said Tua's got to go in the draft now. He has to go in the draft now. There should not be a consideration. The day he was rolled out of the operating room in the hospital, he should have declared for the NFL draft. Why would he risk getting hurt again? People are going to say, well, we don't know. He's, he, teams, he might fall out of the first round. Yeah, well, think about this. If he falls out of the first round, if you're right, if he falls out of the first round today and he goes back to Alabama next year, gets hurt again or underperforms or something along those lines, then where do you think his draft stock falls? It's not just going to stagnate at, at round two. I still think that Tua Tagovailoa has a chance to be a top five NFL draft pick. I do. Because teams in the NFL need quarterbacks. There are no... There, I don't think that there's going to be a team out there that's desperate for a quarterback. The Miamis, the Cincinnati... Maybe not Cincinnati because they're going to take Joe Burrow. But the Miamis, the LA Chargers, the Tennessee Titans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One of the, I don't think that there's going to be a team out there that is desperate for a quarterback... That's going to say, well, we, I mean, look, I know that Tua is special, but the, uh, the injuries are just too, the, no. If they really like Tua because of the talent, they'll, get, they'll roll the dice on the injuries. This is not going to be one of those, well, I, I don't, I, 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 no, it, it isn't going to be like that. They are going to roll the dice on the injuries, and they should. 
They absolutely should. If teams look at Tua and say, he is special, then you should take him with your first-round pick. There is no other option then. And no, I'm not saying that you can't be concerned about it, but it shouldn't hold you back from taking him. The only thing that should hold you back from taking him is if he goes back and he gets hurt again. Because now it's a chronic problem. It was his decision to go back, and it bit him. I don't need to invest a first-round pick in you anymore. Now you're too much of a risk. Not only are you, this is going to sound crazy, a year older, not only are you a college senior, but you're an injury-prone college senior who chose to go back, and we get another chance to look at you while you are off the injury, what if he doesn't come back the same? What if he doesn't come back the same? Then he's really screwed. So if there's any consideration for anybody to think, oh, but Tua should go back and get his draft stock up, there is no chance of that happening. Zero. First of all, I also believe this. If I think that there is definitely a possibility that he could come back and still be able to do workouts. Uh, you know, maybe he's not back in time for the combine, but he'll definitely be able to, you know, work out for teams. He'll throw the ball a little bit, get people in love with him again. There's no way he falls out of the first round. I'm sorry. And I, listen, I used to believe this. I used to believe that Tua, after the injury, uh, he might drop out of the first. I, he might drop out of the first. I, I've, I've shifted on this. I think that Tua's still going to go in the first round. Teams in the NFL that are desperate for quarterbacks are not going to care about injuries. If he is a special talent, they will take him. And most teams, even though, uh, listen, even though in my personal view, I don't see the special. I see the really good, but I don't see the special. But a lot of that, what do I know? A lot of teams in the NFL are looking at this kid and they're saying, uh, yeah, he's going to be the next Russell Wilson, but left-handed. If they see Russell Wilson left-handed in Tua Tagovailoa, an injury is not going to keep them from taking him in the first round. And it shouldn't. So... Anybody that is actually saying to me, oh, yeah, Tua should go back to Alabama. He's got a chance to raise his draft stock again. No. No, you've got a much better chance of it falling than you do rising. Because truthfully, I think that Tua still has a chance at uh, at going in the the top five or so, top ten. There's not much more to go up, and he still has time to uh, has time to impress people. And even with the injury, he is still going to be a hot commodity going forward. Uh, okay, absolutely loaded today. Coming up next, the college football playoff rankings came out. There are no changes from last week, but there are some people that tell me that even if this team gets in, it's a sham, even though they might be deserving. That's coming up next. The Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Good to have you back. Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike Evan here on a uh, Wednesday. Sorry. Oh, my God. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm terrible today. It's a Wii Sports Wednesday. I, it doesn't feel like a Wii Sports Wednesday. It does not feel like a Wednesday. It feels like Tuesday. It's a groggy Wednesday. It's a very groggy it's a Wednesday. Wednesday. It's, it's gray. It's depressing. It's cold. It's been cold. I have work, to, I have work later. It's been cold. uh the better part of a week almost, right? Snow, rain, windy, really windy yesterday. Yeah, I know. Really windy yesterday. I'm still driving a car with a spare tire on it. Thanks. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, anyway, so college football playoff rankings came out yesterday. Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia. That's one through four. Uh, like I, you know, I keep saying this pretty much every week. There is no way that it's going to stay that way unless Georgia wins the SEC title game. But it will, even if they do, it is not going to stay in that order. Georgia will take a jump. LSU will take a little bit of a dip. Uh, but they will probably both still get in. Uh, and I told you that the committee is telling you something by having the rankings where they are. They want two SEC teams in. They desperately want two teams from the SEC in the college football playoff. So that's why a team like Utah is out. Now, here's my deal. I heard yesterday, I heard somebody say, well, I don't really care about Utah. Utah shouldn't get in anyway. Well, let me ask you a question then. If Georgia loses the SEC championship game, who gets in? Who gets in instead if it's not Utah? Oklahoma? Don't the Big 12 and the Pac-12 kind of have the same problem? Utah right now plays in the Pac-12. Everybody thinks very, very low about Pac-12 football. But do we realize what the what is the Big 12 known for as a college football conference bad defenses they 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 don't put together good defenses so yes we can say Oklahoma Lincoln Riley Jalen Hurts crazy firepower offense the Oklahoma defense is not very good they they have a bad loss against Kansas State they're feeding on Big 12 defenses Alabama's season is over. They lost to Auburn. Auburn's a three-loss team. They're not getting in. Georgia would be a two-loss team. They're not getting in. Who is your alternative? Who's your alternative? Because if LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson go undefeated, you're not worried about them. The fourth team that gets into the playoff is, guess who? Pac-12 champion Utah. That's who gets in, whether you like it or not. And whoever gets the one seed in the playoff, which in my opinion will probably be Ohio State, then Ohio State could, in most people's eyes, get an easy free round pass to the national championship game. As much as people like to say that, I'm I'm telling you now, who would be your alternative? If it's not Utah... Then who else? Are you saying that it's going to be Oklahoma? 
Are you telling me it's going to be Minnesota? Are you telling me it's going to be Penn State or Florida or one of those? Give me a break. Give me a break. And I've also heard this argument as well. Well, this year is just proving to you why we shouldn't expand the college football playoff. You realize that that argument has nothing to do with who's deserving and who's not, right? It has everything to do with extending everybody's window, with making more games important. So that way, if Georgia loses a game early on in the year that they shouldn't lose, their season is not ultimately over. And people say, oh, and it takes away urgency from regular season games. No, it doesn't. Because once you lose a game, if you lose your fourth game of the year or your fifth game of the year, the remaining seven weeks that you're playing on your schedule, you're an absolutely meaningless football team. You are. That's why I said at the beginning of the year when everyone would say, oh, yeah, college football, when Florida and Miami were going to play, I'm like, why does anybody care? Well, these two teams aren't going to be in it at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the world any, uh, at the end of the season anyway. And I got absolutely ripped by a Miami Hurricane fans. Say they were calling me fat on Twitter, and I said, "Okay, come back to me when you're five and five. Oh, and what were they? Five and five. It expends everybody's year. It makes everybody more important for longer. Then why are why are we fighting this? This is not a thing where." You can sit there and tell me, oh, but we don't have enough teams that are good enough to get in. Uh, It doesn't matter about that. It matters that more teams become relevant over the course of the year. Okay, college football is a very fraternity, sorority, tailgate sort of thing. It is not about the football. It's about the atmosphere. It makes the football more interesting. It makes the football more interesting. And who cares if Ohio State loses to Northwestern in the, just using it as an example, loses to Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, then guess what? Four-loss Northwestern gets into the playoff. Everybody's season gets extended. Your season is not over if you lose a game or two. Why are we fighting this? I, 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 I still don't understand why there are some people that say, it's not a good idea. Yeah, it is. Wake up. Wake up. So let's say this. If you're a team in the NFL, uh, you lose your first two games of the year. You want your season to be over? Or do you still want, well, listen, you know, there's still 14 games left. I mean, we still got a lot of time. I mean, what would you say if you started 0-2 over the course of a 16-game NFL season? You lost your first two games. Oh, well, season's over. You can't, you know, you can't rebound out for that. The rest of the 14 games don't matter. That fan base doesn't buy tickets to go to the game. The ratings drop. Nobody watches them anymore. So, there we go. It makes more sense. You've got to make p- more teams more relevant for longer that's the reason for the extended playoff has nothing to do with trying to get more teams that are deserving in i could give a rip about that it makes more sense to just make more teams more relevant for a longer period of time point blank all right let's go to the news interim big j journalist evan mazza here on a we sports 
Wednesday. Well, we had big breaking news about an hour ago. The New York Giants, uh, Daniel Jones has a moderate high ankle sprain, and Eli Manning will be starting for the New York Giants Monday night in Philadelphia against the Eagles. So Daniel Jones out with an injury. He's in a walking boot, corner head coach Pat Shermer, and Eli Manning is back in is back in Monday night for the Giants. Oh, this is so huge for Eli Manning. Great young quarterback finally getting his chance to go to get into the starting lineup and see if he can prove that he could be the Giants franchise quarterback for years and years to come. Got an opportunity. So what? So what? Giants were officially mathematically eliminated from the playoffs after the last week's loss. They are no they are absolutely irrelevant for the rest of the year. Nobody gives. And to be honest, I'm less interested in the Giants today because Eli's playing. Well, I think also for for a Giants fan, I, I do like this. I do like it for this. Eli gets a nice little farewell tour again. Now the timetable. A the nice injury, little farewell tour. The time the timetable of the injury is interesting. Will Who be are they playing this week? Philadelphia Eagles. On Monday uh, night. On Monday night. Is it in New York? It's in Philadelphia. Oh, so he's gonna get swallowed. Well, you never know. Hey, maybe he's got. Listen, hey, you never know. Maybe he's got one last, you know, one last big primetime Monday night game against a division listen, rival left in him. You if never know. Eli goes into Philadelphia and beats the Eagles, I will forever, ever, ever. Oh, you better be happy. You I better will be happy. Ever be an Eli Manning supporter? <laughs> you better be happy if that happens. I will be. Uh, if now, Eli Manning ran for Congress, I'd vote for him. Now the timetable, regardless of political party. The timetable for the injury is it will be interesting to look at because right now there is no timetable. Uh, Pat Shermer did say that this injury, this ankle sprain, isn't as serious as the one Saquon Barkley suffered. Sure. So there's only four games left. We don't know how. We don't know if Daniel Jones could return this season. You know, maybe he could return for the last two games, or maybe the last game of the year. Um, I wouldn't sit Jones for the rest of the year and let and have Eli play the remaining four games. Again, at the end of the day, it's about Daniel Jones developing right. and playing. And Eli, you know, Eli has already done everything. I think. I think for it'd be great for Eli. Maybe he can get a nice big win on Monday night. You know, cap off a cap off a great cap off a great career, and he gets one last big memorable moment. And then right. when Daniel Jones is healthy, ready to go, let him play the last game or two. You know, because I'm sure some will say, you know, sit Daniel Jones for the rest of the year, let him stay healthy, let him get healthy, play next year, and Eli plays the last four games and gets, you know, get plays the last four games and gets a goodbye. As you know, I I I I I get that point, but I but I disagree. I think Daniel Jones, whenever he's healthy, ready to go has to play at least the last game or two. For Eli, it'd be great for, it'd be great for him this Monday night against Philly and the next week when they play at home against Miami. Then he can get he can get a send off Yeah, Miami. as long as they don't rush him back. I don't have a yeah. problem with playing Daniel Jones if he's 100% back from the injury, but right. if he's Listen, if, if he's, he's healthy, play him. If he has nagging pain still, then play Eli for the rest of the year sure, and then sure. just that that'll be the end of it, but But if he's healthy, play him. Yeah, if he's healthy, yeah, you got to play him. There's no I don't think that's a question. I think you have to play him if, if he's healthy. So, all right, what's next? Yeah. Uh, yesterday was also big NFL news. Ron Rivera has been has been fired by the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, after not, after I was really surprised by that. Eight full years, nine years in total. Ron Rivera went 76-63 and 63 and won as the coach of the Carolina Panthers. Three NFC South Division titles, four NFC four playoff appearances in total, an NFC title in 2015, and he's a two-time coach of the year in 2013-2015. So, well-respected head coach in the NFL is available for. He'll for have team. no problem. Oh, he, a job. he will get another job next year. He will. Yeah, if he's interested in being a coach in the NFL next year, which you know, people gotta 
you know, kind of keep that in mind. There is an, a possibility that Ron Rivera is like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll take a I'll take a year off, and you know, I'll just I'll you know go back and you know try to take a stab at it again next year. But if he's interested in getting an NFL job, he will get one, and he will get one quickly. Yeah, I. I I kind of broke it down, right, Evan? So I, I, I let's play a game here. So coaching jobs that are going to be available next year. Okay, so obviously Carolina, but right. he's not going back to Carolina. Right. So there's Carolina, uh, Dallas, right? Jason See? Garrett's going to get fired. All right. Or he's not going to get fired, but he's not going to get brought back. Uh, the Redskins job will more than likely be open. Right. I think Pat Shermer's going to get fired, so the Giants', Giants. job is probably going to be open. That's three. I think the Browns' job could be open. Freddie Kitchens. I think he'd be perfect. So I, so maybe the Jets. Maybe the so Jets. That's, I would not. I, no, I actually don't think though. I, I I think right now as it stands, I think Adam Gase keeps keeps his job, but Atlanta? so far out. I guess excluding the Falcons. Yes, Atlanta. Too. The Atlanta Falcons. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank for some reason. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, excluding Carolina, there are at least right now, what, five jobs? So That's about Atla- five. Atlanta. Uh, I'm sorry. Atlanta. Cleveland. The, Cleveland, the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cowboys. And then there, I think, there are two more coaches that I think could get fired. Anthony Lynn with the Chargers. All right, that's six. And Doug Marone with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Absolutely. I think those two guys could possibly get fired as well. That's about seven. So, seven jobs, eight if you're including Carolina. Ron Rivera, I don't think, has any shot at getting the Atlanta job. I don't think they're going to hire him. I don't think he has any shot at getting the Dallas Cowboy job. They're not going to hire him. Um, I don't think he would want the Washington Redskin job. So there are two jobs that stand out to me that Ron Rivera would fit perfectly in. Jacksonville and the Chargers. Those two places would love Ron Rivera. I could agree with that. I could agree with that. I also think Cleveland would be a good spot. Because I, I think if, I think I think he can. I that's think a, a good point. Like, I think a guy like him would be perfect for that team. If Cleveland is looking for stability. Hiring Ron Rivera is a great decision. It is a great decision. Forget about offense or defense because he's a defensive guy. And you're bringing but, in a winner. Well, you're bringing in a winner, and you're bringing in a guy that'll instantly instill a good culture. There is no nonsense with Ron Rivera. There is none. So he's going to have no problem getting a job. Chargers, Jaguars right now I think would be the ideal fit right now uh, with the Cleveland Browns. I actually don't think he'd be a terrible fit for the Giants, even though... Oh, I, I think he'd be good for the Giants, too, yeah. I think that they would need to go more of an offensive coach. They, they got to get an offensive coach in there that can work with Daniel Jones, young quarterback, you know, everything like that. So, But Ron Rivera and the Chargers... I'm telling you, that that could be something. I don't know, man. I don't know if the Giants really need an offensive coach. You've tried it with Pat Shermer. You've tried it with Ben McAdoo. Both haven't worked out. You know, I think for the Giants, Ron Rivera would be perfect. I think I think that'd be a great. Again, kind of like Cleveland has an offensive coach and, and Freddie Kitchens, who was the offensive coordinator last year with Cleveland. Fortunately, that hasn't worked out. Mm-hmm. I think Ron Rivera would be great for either of those locker rooms, bringing stability, bringing bringing experience, winning experience. 
He helped build a, a really good Panther team for a while. Um, I think he'd be great for those lockers. And again, a young he did develop. He did help develop Cam Newton. I do think he played a factor in in in, in Cam Newton's in, uh, 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 Cam Newton's ability and Cam Newton being a solid quarterback for a while. You bring you put him in with a young quarterback like Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield, and what Ron Rivera means to a defense too. These are two teams that need help on defense. The Cleveland Browns are struggling on defense. The New York Giants have been terrible on defense for, uh, what, several years now? They need help on both sides of the they ball. They had a good defense a couple of years ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, they well, had a good defense. A lot of Giants fans will tell you that that was because of they played bad quarterbacks. They'll, they'll tell you, a lot of Giants fans will tell you about that. Mm. But I, I think, but it's still the last three, but still since then, 2016 though, the last three years, that defense has been bad. It's been really bad. Whether it's bad free agent signings, bad acquisitions, bad draft picks, I think getting someone like Ron Rivera. You know who I think. You know who I think would get the giant job. Jason Garrett. Yeah, I really do think that if the Jason Garrett would be in really heavy consideration for the Giants. Hired Jason Garrett over Ron Rivera. I got nothing. I got nothing. I agree. If they, if you, if you I decide, agree. if they both of them are, on, if both of them are available, it's not even close. It, it, it doesn't matter anyone. Cleveland Giants, Jacksonville, whoever. If you have a choice between Jason Garrett and Ron Rivera, and you pick Jason Garrett. I got nothing for you. Yeah. This, I, I got nothing for you. Ron, here's Ron Rivera, who has winning experience, who's done a lot for a franchise, and Jason Garrett. Well, sure, he's got a couple of division titles. Absolutely, he doesn't have what Ron Rivera has. And Garrett, obviously, is 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 look is looked at maybe as underachiever. Talented Cowboy teams, not really living up to the expectation. Here, the Cowboys are six and six, and really are hanging in there in the division race because the Eagles are so bad right now. Right. So, again, Ron Rivera, I think, would be a nice solid option for any team, any team. Jets, Panth- Jets, Jaguars, Browns, uh, Eagle. Uh, sorry, not Eagles. Giants, Browns, Jets, Jaguars, Falcons. I think it would, I think he'd be a good fit for the Falcons too, if they would decide to hire him. Maybe you know, take him away from Carolina too. Maybe. Yeah, I think he'd, I think he'd be a good hire for anyone. I like Brian Rivera. Finally, so the Yankees met with our meeting with Steven Strasburg today. Uh, they met with Garrett Cole yesterday. John Heyman reported that they are selling uh, Garrett Cole on being a Yankee and winning. Sweeney Murdy says the Cole pitch is very similar to the one they gave for CC Sabathia. He was also considered a West Coast guy, but the Yankees gave him the largest contract for a pitcher ever. That was for CC Sabathia. So that's on the meeting. With, that was on the meeting with Garrett Cole yesterday. And now today they're meeting with Steven Strasburg. The Yankees also uh, think that Strasburg maybe might go back to Washington. He might he might look at Washington too. If that's kind of what they're a little bit of afraid of right now. Yeah. But Garrett Cole would be interesting too because Garrett Cole putting that similarity to CC Sabathia. CC ended up being a Yankee. So it'll be interesting to see again what their offer is, what they're looking at, what Cole is offering, what Cole wants. Yeah. And can they come to an agreement? If this is like CeCe Sabathia, if they have a feeling this is like CeCe from 2009, Garrett Cole will be a Yankee. And, yeah. and CeCe wanted to CeCe wanted to stay in the West Coast too, wanted to be an Angel. That didn't work out, just like Garrett Cole, we, we feel right now, might, might be. Yeah. Well, the Yankees, if you remember, Evan, the Yankees, at, you remember when the Yankees signed CeCe Sabathia originally? It wasn't just supposed to be CC Sabathia. CC Sabathia was supposed to bring Cliff Lee with him. Right. And Cliff Lee ended up going to Philadelphia. So I think the thing was if 
CC Sabathia has already sat down with Garrett Cole and pitched the Yankees to him, right? Now the Yankees have gone to have gone out to see Garrett Cole and told him, "Listen, all you need to do is tell us that you want to be a Yankee, and the money will be there. We'll pay up. We will pay you heavily, okay? And everybody in New York media is telling us." The Yankees have not wanted a free agent this bad in a long time. They are going to go hard and heavy after Garrett Cole. And if you think about it, I buy that 100% because the Yankees have been in on Garrett Cole for a long time. They drafted him in the first round originally, and then he chose to go back to college. Tried to trade him. Right, then they tried to trade for him, and the Pirates ended up trading to the Astros for a package that was much less than what they were asking for from the Yankees because you got to keep in mind and people are going to bash Cashman for not getting him originally for not trading for him originally think about it like this Garrett Cole the season prior had a four and a half ERA right and the Pirates were asking for Miguel Andujar Clint Frazier I mean and at the at the time those two guys it was just like well that's our future. We're not going to mortgage our future for a guy that's got a four and a half ERA. Right. So I was like, yeah, I don't blame him. And then we see the package from the Astros, and it was like Joe Musgrove uh, and Colin Moran that went over. Then there were, I think, a couple more. I think Kyle Crick was part of that. Um, was part of that package as well. So it, we're, I'm thinking, like, I'm like, well, I would have traded him for that. Why did they ask the Astros for so much less? But that being said. I think people do have to keep in mind that if Garrett Cole decides to not go to the Yankees, this is not on Brian Cashman, okay? He, he Because let's just say this for a second. If Garrett Cole gets an absolutely absurd amount of money from the Angels, okay, uh, he gets 10 years for $350 million, so $35 million a year. I'm not going to blame Brian Cashman for saying that's just ridiculous. That I'd be out on that too. No, so that's, and that's what I think might happen. You that's pay the- him, and you could even overpay him a little bit, but just keep in mind, just because you're willing to overpay doesn't mean that there isn't a price limit. And that's what's probably going to happen. The Yankees met with Cole there and met with Cole and gave him what they feel he's worth, and I'm sure it's a lot of money. And Cole is going to now take that contract the Yankees offered him and give it to other teams, the Angels, Dodgers, whoever, and see who can match or maybe even top the offer. They'll right. then go back to the Yankees and say, okay, hey, the Angels, Dodgers, whoever are offering me this X amount of money, what about you? What, what's your response? And either Brian Cashman will look at the, look at the contract and say, okay, now sign. All right, here's here's a bigger deal. Sign. Or they'll say, okay, yeah, all right, it was a pleasure doing business with you. We'll go and try to get Steven Strasburg or Bumgarner. Right. And that's what I think. That's that's what's going to happen. I like the fact that the Yankees have, are making an attempt early. They're trying to get ahead of the. They're trying to get ahead of this negotiation. Process I will say this, this though, Evan. I think they have a better shot at Cole than they do at Strasburg. Strasburg, I still think there's a chance he either goes back to Washington. I think he could go back to or Washington. Goes, or goes to San Diego. But I think he's going to get priced out of San Diego. I think San Diego is not looking to spend gigantic money. I think they're going to get priced out of them. Yeah. And the Nationals, so. the Nationals have been confident uh, since the off, since the offseason began that they can get Strasburg back. They're very confident about that. All right, that's the news. 
Interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a Wednesday. If you're the Nationals, too, you go, after winning a World Series, you don't want to lose both Rendon and Strasburg. You want to try to keep at least one of those guys. I think they will. I think they will. If I had to choose which one that they'd probably keep, they have a better chance at keeping maybe Strasburg. And that's, I'll be honest with you, because I think the last time I answered that question, I said Rendon. That is going to keep shifting. Like, I, I do not think that there's going to be a, like, a, a set guy that they have a better chance of getting. I think both of them are going to entertain the market, but I do think that at least one of them will end up back with the Washington Nationals. Okay, one of them is going to get nostalgic and say, I just won a World Series with this team. Sure. I'm going to, you know, try to make it work here again. All of this, all of that stuff. So, again, we'll see where everything stands going forward. Uh, okay, coming up next. I do this every single uh, Wednesday, winners and losers. I got five of each uh, for week 13 in the NFL. That's coming up next. The Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents The Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour number two. Here we go. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer. Good to have you in here on a Wednesday. Absolutely loaded today. Barrington Grant in about 20 minutes. Uh, not even 20, but it's about 15 minutes. Uh, so it, I do this every single Tuesday. Uh, winners and losers, week 13. I have five of each. Here we go. The suspenseful music. Here we go. All right. First winner, the Baltimore Ravens. And that's it's going to be a trend now. Everybody, every week it's going to be a winner. Uh, every week is going to be a winning week for the Baltimore Ravens. Eight straight weeks. Pretty much, right? So you go... You're in your own building. You beat the San Francisco 49ers in the conditions. You're proving more and more that you're the best team in the NFL. I think you beat the second best team in the NFL. So, and again, Lamar Jackson proving. He did not have a great day throwing the football. He didn't. I, I What did he do? 105 yards. He was 14 to 23 for 105 yards and a touchdown. Did not have a great day throwing the football. But he ran the ball incredibly well. He was extremely effective still. The dynamic of this offense is incredibly fun to watch. It's incredibly good. It is brilliantly schemed. And they have a really tough-nosed defense that plays physical. Right now, Baltimore Ravens, they're my first winner. My first loser. Oh, Nick Foles. I I feel really bad for you, but Nick Foles is uh, is a loser this week. Losing his starting job. Jacksonville is going with Gardner Minshew going forward. Now, there was a report earlier today that the Jaguars are not giving up on Nick Foles, but it certainly uh, certainly does look that way. Uh, I would be surprised if Nick Foles started again this year. Nick Foles right now, the $22 million guy, he's got paid $88 million um, before the scene started to be the new Jaguars franchise quarterback, and he just hasn't looked it. You know, he's 7 of 14 for 93 yards and an interception against Tampa, which their pass defense is not outstanding whatsoever. So Jacksonville, 
and taking a big hit here. They were hoping that they would be able to get uh, more production out of Nick Foles, and they just aren't. And Nick Foles now losing his job. Foles is a loser this week. All right. Back to the winner column. My second winner is the Buffalo Bills. I got to say, look, I'm impressed. They are playing very good football right now. Quietly, they've gone 9-3. Beating Dallas in Dallas on Thanksgiving is a is a really big deal. You got to keep that in mind. Dallas usually plays very well on Thanksgiving. Your defense is one of the best in the NFL, and you got such a great performance out of Josh Allen. It was clearly his best game all year. Had a passer rating over 120. Completed almost 80% of his throws. Josh Allen looked as dynamic as he's ever looked in his career against Dallas in that uh, in that game. And this is the kind of glimpse of the guy that you drafted. This is the guy that you wanted from when you drafted him. And this is the guy that he can be. So if you're a Buffalo Bills fan today, you're feeling really good about yourself. Buffalo right now is my second winner. My second loser. The San Francisco 49ers. Uh, This was not a bad loss. This was not a bad loss by the Niners whatsoever. But like I said earlier on in the show, our feelings about the 49ers could very well shift after this week against New Orleans if they lose. They drop down to the five seed in the NFC playoffs after most people calling them the best team in the NFC. Right now they're a wild card team, which is really interesting. But we're noticing a trend now with San Francisco. They're beating the teams that they should beat. But Seattle and Baltimore, the two best teams that they've played, they've lost in both of those games. They lost to Seattle at Levi's at, you know, in Santa Clara. So this is not exactly what you want right now. Our vision on San Francisco could very easily change. So this is not a bad loss by any means by the Niners but it certainly does not help their resume. Right now, the San Francisco 49ers are my second loser. All right, back to the winner board. Uh, The Green Bay Packers are my third winner. They needed this win, getting a huge win against the Giants. Aaron Rodgers had a nice day. Once again, you're 9-3. You're still in first place. Uh, 243 yards and four touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers had a phenomenal day. Your offense finally got rolling. This is something that you've got to get off your chest now. You've got to rebound. Now try to work on your defense. Get get this defense rolling again and see where this can take you. But this was a good win, a good win on the road against the Giants in the snow. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur again. This dynamic is working for the mo- uh, for the most part after losing two of the last 3 against San Francisco and the Chargers. You needed this win against the Giants. You blew them out 31-13. Green Bay Packers right now are my third winner. My uh, third loser, uh, this one's pretty easy to me, the Philadelphia Eagles. This was a massive loss. You could not go into Miami and lose. Uh, And the worst part about it is, is Carson Wentz actually played well and you still lost. That is something that you pretty much cannot have no matter what. Going into Miami and losing that football game, you had the opportunity to tie the NFC East for the lead. Dallas lost to Buffalo, a game that they shouldn't have lost either. You And you were getting a layup here with Miami, and you didn't pull through. You blew a 14-point lead 
You end up giving up 37 points to Ryan Fitzpatrick with no running game, no wide receivers, and no offensive line. I, I mean, that's troubling to me. You still have the same problems. You're not getting after the quarterback. You're not defending the pass well. Your secondary is very poor. Your offense is banged up. You don't have a lot of wide receivers that right now that are healthy. Your offensive line is banged up. You don't run the football necessarily well. Uh, right now, Philadelphia looks like they're in trouble. They, they feel like they're in trouble to me. They're my third loser. My fourth winner, this was a big win for the Kansas City Chiefs. They needed a blowout win that they could be proud of again, and they got it. They absolutely got it. Blowing out the Oakland Raiders um, at home, 40-9. to I definitely thought this game was going to be a little bit closer, but it certainly was not. Kansas City, I think, goes into Foxborough this weekend and beats New England. This is going to be one of those games where you're look. Uh, this is going to be one of those games where you're looking at this and you're saying, "Well, whose offense do I trust more?" I don't think New England's defense is good enough to stop this offense wholeheartedly. So right now, if Kansas City can get back up off the Schneid and start winning football games consistently again, right now they're sitting at eight and four. They're doing okay, but. I feel like they know that they should be better than they are right now. Uh, This is exactly what they should be. High-octane offense. And they showed that, that they can still win games that way. That's Kansas City, their number four. Uh, My fourth winner. Fourth loser. Cleveland Browns. This was such a punch in the gut. Okay, listen, it doesn't really matter that you lost in Pittsburgh. I understand that you, you know, you've had a really rough time getting wins in Pittsburgh over the past decade and a half. The problem is is that your coach came in wearing a t-shirt that brought you back to where you were when you were embarrassed, and I think that sets you back. I think the Browns season is over right now. I, I think it is 100% over. There is no way that they're going to get off the schneid now. They're going to stick where they are. They're going to be mediocre. Freddie Kitchens, I think, is costing himself his job. You are costing Baker Mayfield in development years. This is not what you want if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. They're my fourth loser. My fifth and final winner are the Houston Texans. Beating New England in your own building while the Colts lose, I think you take control of the division. Right now, you're in control of the AFC South. You're the best team in the AFC South. You have an an unbelievable quarterback. So... I think right now, you're feeling pretty confident. Even though you're injured, Titus Howard at right tackle, J.J. Watt on the defensive side. You're banged up, but you're still winning football games right now. I think you're playing really good football for the guys that you have. Your depth is showing in your talent. I love this right now. And you're showing teams that you can beat uh, beat them in multiple ways. You can beat them on the ground. You can beat them through the air. You can beat them with hard-nosed defense and getting after the quarterback. Any of those things, you are absolutely capable of competing in that realm. Right now, the Houston Texans are my fifth and final winner. Fifth and final loser, as we see it, the New England Patriots. Patriots are, I'm not going to tell you they're done, but they do not look good right now. I think they're the fourth best team in the AFC as currently constituted that they do not have a good offense. It is not getting any better anytime soon. You know, the only way that it would get better is if they signed Antonio Brown, which won't happen. But at the very same time, you also kind of have to look at this like, 
All right. Is Tom Brady good enough right now at the end of the year where you can have faith in him? And are you uh, is your defense just feeding on bottom feeders? Right now, that's what it looks like to me. Taking a loss to the two teams that have legitimate offenses with Houston and Baltimore, that's not what you want. It is not what you want. And you're facing another really good offense in your own building in Kansas City this week. That You've got to prove to yourself that you can beat teams like this. Right now, New England, my fifth and final loser. So just to recap for you, my winners, the Baltimore Ravens, the Buffalo Bills, Green Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Houston Texans. And my losers are Nick Foles, the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Cleveland Browns, and the New England Patriots. What do you think? Yeah, I think, the lo- I think you nailed the nailed the losers. Except I wouldn't put San Francisco. I know San Fran. San Fran lost a tough one, but they could have they could have won that game. That was a really good, great football game. Maybe my favorite football game of the year so far. They had a chance to win at the end, but Kyle, I think bad, bad play calling and Kyle Shanahan kind of kind of hurt them with mismanagement of the clock and timeouts. If San Fran loses to New Orleans this Sunday, yeah, then that's what I would say they're losers. But I don't know if I put them as a loser. I might have to switch out San Fran with the Cowboys because that was embarrassing. That that can't happen. What happened on Thanksgiving night after everything that happened with the Patriots and, after, and what happened after that, to come out on Thanksgiving night in prime time and play like that and get embarrassed by the Bills was terrible. Yeah. Awful. Nick Foles, Eagles and Browns. Eagles and Browns. What season-destroying losses those were. Absolutely season-destroying losses, especially for Cleveland's sake. Came into Pittsburgh. Duck Hodge was starting a quarterback. Yeah. You got a golden Bad. opportunity, golden opportunity, and you just lay a giant egg. A- absolutely giant egg. And yeah, the Freddie Kitchens thing was just. I got again. I got nothing for the Freddie Kitchens thing. That was just something that was not not necessary. Something not, that was just not necessary. You know, like you like I agree with you. The team has moved on. They were trying. You won the game against Miami. You were trying to keep going you got you had a op- great opportunity to beat the Steelers and get back into the playoff on at six and six and you just blow it right in typical Cleveland Browns fashion you blow it and Philly you blow it you blow it and then Philly 14 point lead against the Dolphins they're being the Dolphins are playing competitive 14 point lead in Miami Carson Wentz is playing great first time in a while he's played great and again you blow it I got nothing we'll again, I got I got nothing but just two Season-destroying losses for both these organizations, the Eagles and the Browns. Yep. And the win, and yeah, big winner of course for Green Bay. Green Bay definitely needed that bounce back, and Green Bay needed that bounce back. Houston, how about Houston? Finally getting a big, big, defining win like that against the Patriots. The Patriots have have owned them over the last several years since they since the Texans really started to be competitive in around 2010, 2011. Houston with a big statement win on Sunday night. Right. Big statement win. All right, so there we go. Winners and losers week 13. Do it every single Wednesday. All right, coming up next, brand new guest that we're going to bring on, uh, Barrington Grant, good friend of mine. Uh, Get his thoughts. I'm not going to keep him in one area. He's one of those well-rounded guys. So he isn't like a one-dimensional. He's not a one-trick pony like the rest of our guests. (laughs) I'm cold, man. Just, Just kidding. Cold. All right. Uh, Barrington Grant, his thoughts next. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Good to have you back, K-Stack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike Evan on a Wednesday, good to have you back. Uh, absolutely loaded today. Before we get into anything else, I want to bring in a guy who probably knows a lot more about sports than I do. Uh, <laughs> my, one of my right-hand guys, a guy that I rely on a lot for uh, sports information, first time on the show today, Barrington Grant. Barry, I, I, I don't know why it took so long to get you here, but it took long to get you here. But you're finally here, my friend. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. The wait is over, Mike. I, I, I apologize for the wait, but let's get to it. All right, Barrington Grant, good to have you in. Uh, all right, so here's the thing that I saw this weekend, right? So the, the, the big game this weekend was Niners and Ravens, and... Niners lose, Niners lose that game. They go into New Orleans next week. Are, here's the thing. All right, so they would lose to Seattle at home. They would lose to Baltimore. And then if they go into New Orleans and lose to New Orleans, I feel like our feeling, this is a week-by-week league, our feeling on San Francisco changes a little bit. If the 49ers lose to the New Orleans Saints, does your view on them going forward change? Uh, definitely. It definitely does change. I think it brings them back down to the rest of the pack. You know, for so long, for so many weeks, you know, they were ahead of the pack because their defense was flying around. Uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was not making a lot of mistakes. But you're starting to see things start to kind of even out now where the defense is still playing well but we're getting uneven performances from Jimmy G. So is this going to continue? Is this going to be a trend that stops in New Orleans? Who knows? Who knows what, what, what happens when they actually do play the Saints, if they can kind of right the ship. If they do lose, you know, it's not panic mode yet, but we're going to kind of look at them a little differently. Yeah. as They're not the class of the NFC anymore. They're just another viable team. Yeah, so I, it's a good point that you bring that up because I, I want to kind of transition to this, right? So you and I, we're, we're both Dallas Cowboys sympathizers. I, I, I don't want to say fans because we don't, you know, really, we don't really see a lot of positive anymore. But That's correct. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. So we lose to New England, then we lose to Buffalo. I'm really starting to get the idea that you're – and then we get a comment out of Jerry Jones, right? Jerry Jones, I think, is kind of recognizing this now. He told us, uh, told us a couple days ago, I am confident that Jason Garrett will be coaching in the NFL next year. He did not say he'd be coaching for the Cowboys next year. So do you think that, in, in essence, this relationship is over? That's kind of what Jerry likes to give us, right? Like after games, he likes to, he's a fan, so he's very emotional, and then he kind of sits back and thinks about it some more, and then he gets upset even more, and then he comes out with a statement like that. I do believe that unless some miracle happens where the Dallas Cowboys are playing in the Super Bowl in Tampa, that this relationship is over. And the fact that they have such a close relationship, he will allow Garrett to walk away in a way that it doesn't look like he's actually being terminated or he just he's not wanted anymore. It's going to be like a mutual parting of ways where they say, okay, 
this relationship, you know, it's been 10 years. I've been in this organization for as long as I can remember. I was a backup for Aikman. So he's been here. He's been a second son to Jerry. So they're going to spin this in a way that it's a mutual parting of ways. But I do think that, yes, this is the end of the road for Jason Garrett and the Cowboys. So uh, since we're talking about coaching, let's talk about Freddie Kitchens for a little bit. I think that, that I've been a Freddie Kitchens defender. I've said before that they, the Browns cannot fire him after his first year. You've got to show some stability at that coaching position. But at the very same time, he comes in on Saturday, comes into Pittsburgh on Saturday wearing a shirt that said Pittsburgh started it. And this is right after where I felt like Baker and that locker room had actually progressed at a group as a group. After this whole Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph thing, the locker room was primarily quiet. You didn't really hear anything from anybody. This I and then they go into Pittsburgh and lose that game. I, I feel like the focus isn't there, and I feel like Freddie Kitchens is just whiffing on this this year as a head coach. If you were the Cleveland Browns, would you bring him back or would you fire him after the season's over? Uh, well, just just like what you said, stability is always the best thing for an organization. If you keep you know, hiring and firing coaches year in and year out, it's going to look very bad on your front office. It's going to take a, a big toll on your quarterback. Is going to take a big toll on your on your skill position, uh, you know, position. So, I would give him another chance to kind of see if he can learn from his mistakes mm-hmm. from a full year of being a head coach. And then, if you don't see any improvement, the way you want to see it. So, this is a talented Cleveland team. I would give him half a year to kind of see what's going on next year, and then make the decision there. But to, but to get rid of him after year one, um, it's no matter how no matter how bad he's looked, I still would give him another chance. How do you, how did you feel about the shirt thing, Barry? I felt that it was your head coach is supposed to be the the leader, right? You're supposed to be the guy that kind of steers the ship, that cools things down not be a cheerleader for what's going on. Right. If you want your players to do that, that's fine. But you're the one that's supposed to keep them even-keeled, level-headed, and be ready to play a game. Now, when you're participating in the same things that your players are participating in, it just makes you look like you don't have any authority. And this is the problem that has been, play- that has been plaguing the Browns for decades now. There's no leadership. And it, it's, it's, it's continuing under Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, I mean, and you got tell me how you feel about this too, Barry. Because look, I, I, for I think this is first of all, I in my view, I think this is a fireable offense, and the reason that's being is because I just I don't think he gets it. Right, you're not getting the right read on your team, even if, but regardless of whether it was a good decision or not, you're not getting the right read on your team. The Browns never at one point said anything about. Oh yeah, Mason Rudolph started this entire thing. They uh, deflected all the questions. They were all embarrassed by it. They all took accountability. Your quarterback, who at the very least can be difficult at most times, can say, uh, said in front of the media, "We can't do that. We've been doing stuff like this all season. Now we're starting to hurt the team." It seemed like he finally got it, and Freddie Kitchens just brought him right back to what was embarrassing them. I, I, to me, that's a fireable offense. To me. 
Hey, Mike, you, you, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, you know, you, you would think that because of the statements that they've made, that they were past it. And then to kind of walk it back and do this, it makes everybody look bad, including Freddie Kitchens. And he's had enough, you know, issues this year. And this just this is just another <laughs> big issue that he has to deal with. It, it, it could be a fireball offense. I'm just saying that I, I, I like stability more than anything else, and I think that you got to give him a chance to dig himself out of the hole, per se. Now, if he can't do that in, in a quick fashion, then, yeah, I would definitely get rid of him very quickly next season. Right. So right, let's shift to New England. They're extremely well coached, but I don't think the roster is very good. Uh, I think that their defense might be a little overrated. They've kind of feasted on bottom feeders. Uh, and whenever they've played an offense that's been legitimate, like Houston or Baltimore, they have trouble stopping those offenses. And this is a New England offense that isn't very good. Tom Brady is clearly digressing as a player. They don't have very many wide receivers. They don't run the ball particularly well. Uh, right now, as I see it, if you broke down the AFC playoff bracket, uh, the division winners right now would be Kansas City, uh, Kansas City New England, Houston and Baltimore. Do, do we realize that New England would have the most inferior quarterback out of all of those teams? I'm a little questionable on New England right now. I think they might be only the third or fourth best team in their own conference. What say you? You know what's funny about New England, Mike, is that they will go through these these periods in their season where people are questioning them, whether it be the first part of the year where Brady might have struggled a couple seasons ago, or now where you're actually seeing huge deficiencies on offense, and yes, the defense is starting to come back down to earth as they're playing better competition. However, come playoff time, can we really say that New England doesn't legitimately have a chance? Because I just I can't rule it out yet. It's one of those situations where you just have to see it to actually say, okay, this is actually changing now. This is a different team, and it's time for them to kind of turn it over. I saw what happened last year. They turned it on in the playoffs, and they shut down. They shut down a Rams team. I never thought that was possible. So let's see how it, how it does play out come playoff time. But I do agree with you that this is probably the, the most trouble that they've been in I test wise because, you know, the defense may be a little overrated, but they may also be fatigued because that offense is not scoring points. Right. They're not they're they're they they are they're not effective on third down. They can't run the ball. Tom Brady's not throwing the deep pass. They don't have any guys that can catch the deep pass. So a lot of these things that they used to do well, they're not doing. So Let's just see how it how it trend, how it plays out in uh in, in the playoffs. Now, if you had to break down Tom Brady for a second, uh, because a lot of people are telling me, okay, Brady's not playing great, but it's because the weapons aren't there. And I made the argument earlier in the week. I'm saying, listen, I, I, you, we could say all we want about him not having weapons. I agree with you. I don't think he has very great. I, I don't think he has great weapons at all. But if you're watching Tom Brady, the guy just – he's not throwing the ball accurately. He can't throw the deep ball anymore. He can't move. 
I think the primary struggle for New England is not necessarily weapons. It has more to do with Brady is just finally showing his age and digressing as a player. What do you think? That's a great point. I would kind of compare it to, remember, the last year of Peyton Manning in Denver? Yeah. Where the neck injury started to really take effect now. You started to see the arm strength, you know, it, it diminished. His, his reading of certain plays weren't there. I think you're seeing the same type of regression with Brady. He's not seeing the field the way he's, he used to see the, the field before. He's, there's certain reads that he's making that are very, very questionable. And it definitely does fall on him. I, I think that eye test-wise, yes, you would say that Brady is possibly the problem here why New England is not doing what they're doing. And I, I, like I said, Tom Brady has shown us time and time again that when the lights are as brightest, he will perform. But right now, I can't disagree with you. He does not look good. He doesn't look as bad as Peyton did that last year in Denver, but it's pretty close. So I, I want to kind of shift to the NBA because you're a very well-rounded guy. You know, we, we roll the dice here, people. We get people that know more than just one thing. So I, I want to kind of shift to Houston, right? So the Rockets lose in double overtime last night uh, to the Spurs in San Antonio. Okay, close game throughout. And the headline of the story is James Harden drops 50 in a loss to San Antonio. That would be everybody's headline this morning. The way that I see this game, and tell me if you agree, is James Harden shot 11 of 38, uh, 4 of 20 from 3, gave away possessions. Oh, and on top of that, Russell Westbrook, despite the fact that he had a triple-double, shot 7 of 30 from the field. Barry, this is a team that's going to have trouble winning games in the playoffs if they're this inefficient. And, Mike, I knew that this was going to be an issue for them because once you've married yourself to the style of play that James Harden has, has shown, then you, know, you can't go back. There's no way you can kind of get some type. You just have to continue to ride this destructive wave that they're on. You have two of the most difficult players to play with playing together. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of inefficient nights. You're going to get a lot of bad decisions. You're going to get a lot of bad shots. And you're going to get a lot of these games where they're losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to, which means that come playoff time, they're definitely going to have a hard time unless the matchup is prime for them to win that that series, which it might not be because they may not be a top-five seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to look at that. So I want to, from a, I'll say from a duo that might not work out in the future to a duo that I think is definitely working out, LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the Lakers fits seamlessly. They ju- it, you just watch it and it works. And the funny, the best thing about the Lakers is that they they move the ball incredibly well. And we see this with LeBron led uh, LeBron led teams a lot. Is sometimes the ball movement is very stagnant. There is not a lot of movement. It's a lot of isolation, and that co- and that costs them. They go into Denver last night and beat the Nuggets, and, and I'm thinking to myself, 
It's early on in the year. They're 18-3. and three. They're beating good Western Conference teams on the road. I, the Lakers, to me, look like the final favorite. You tell me. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think in the years prior, when LeBron did have the big three in Miami, when he then had sort of the big three in Cleveland with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, the difference here is that in those in those situations, he did not have a dominant big. When you have a point guard slash, you know, everything player like LeBron James, and you give him in a legit uh, power forward or center that can be able to be mobile, that can shoot jump shots, that can that is dominant in the pick and roll, that is the dominant de- uh, uh, defensive player. This is what you're going to see. It's it's the most balanced partnership that he's had since he's been in the NBA. And this is why you're seeing the rapport be so fluent, be so easy, because this is what point guards need. Point guards need a dominant big because that pick and roll becomes that much more effective. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because now I want, now I want to get into another last thing before I let you go. Want to get into another duo that may or may not work and it's been kind of shaky up and down. The Clippers win at home last night against Portland. Uh, they win by 20. It was pretty much not even close. It was no way. It was a Clipper win from the beginning. And I'll be honest with you, Bear. I, I don't know how to feel. Okay, Kawhi had a really rough night. What did he shoot? Three for 15. He only had 11 points on the night. But Paul George and Montrez Harrell had an absolute field day, 25 and 26 for each of them. You tell me, because you know more about basketball, I'm sure, than I do. You played. How should I feel about the Clippers today? You should feel the way I feel about the Clippers, Mike. You should feel they're good. They could get to another level of great. However, the only problem with them is two things. One, they're not deep enough in regards to the center position. They don't have rim protection. As great as Montrez Harrell is, he's 6'7". As good as Ivica Zubac is, he's he's not somebody that you can trust in a big spot. So with that being said, they're gonna they're gonna have problems with, with a a team like Denver. They're gonna have problems with a team like Utah. They'll have problems with these bigger teams because they don't have the size. Now you're going to be asking Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to do a, to do the bulk of the scoring. That's fine, but if your interior is weak, it's going to put a lot more pressure on your perimeter for them to execute. The second problem that I think they have is health. You know, Kawhi Leonard with this load management thing, is he going to play 60 games? Is he going to play 70 games? We don't know the actual number of games he's going to play, but if he's going to miss 20 games, if he's going to miss 15 games, that's a lot of games for you to miss in the Western Conference to keep ground to be able to get a favorable matchup in the playoffs where it's not as challenging if you don't have that room protection. Yeah. All right, Barrington Grant, a good buddy of mine. I want to try and get him on every week, but I don't know. He's he's difficult, I guess. Right, Barry? <laughs> Listen, I will, I will make sure that I try to get on every week. I don't know if it's going to be every you know, the same day, but I'll, I'll make it happen. We'll I'll fi- make it happen. We'll figure it out. Barrington Grant, good talking to you, bud. All right, I'll see you, Mike. 
All right, Barry DeGrand, one of the good, one of the nicer guys in the sports talk industry. You are not going to meet a nicer guy than Barrington Grant. All right, let's go to the news with our interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a We Sports Wednesday. So we talked about the Tua Tagovailoa stuff earlier in the show. I want to get back to it. Tua Tagovailoa obviously had a couple of interviews, just pondering whether he wants to go in the NFL draft, think, uh, wait, weathering his decision, taking his pretty much right now taking his time of what he wants to do with his future. It'll be interesting to see if he does decide to go back to college and the risk he has, of course, the risk he's taking. But there are a couple weeks ago we saw a report that some NFL scouts and executives believe that he could still be a top 15, even even a top 10 draft pick if he would enter, if he I, would decide to enter the draft. I agree. I think he can be. I mean, Evan, am I crazy for thinking that? Like, you tell me. I feel like there are too many teams in the league that are desperate for quarterbacks, and if they see special out of Tua, they're going to draft him regardless of the injury. I mean, you tell me, is that crazy for me to think? No, it's not crazy. For, it's not crazy at all. If you if you go, if he decides to declare for the draft, again, Miami would still have a shot at him. Detroit, uh, not Detroit, Miami, uh, you know, Jacksonville, etc. They'll have they'll, there will be a lot of teams that will look at him and still say, you know what? He's still he's tremendous. We'll take him, and especially if Scott, if it's really about Tua's representatives and what they what they're telling him. Tua's representatives tell him, "Hey man, the scouts and everyone are, in the NFL are telling us you are still going to be a top fifteen, top ten draft pick. You will still go in the draft and high the draft. Get get you again. It's also a business decision. He even said he even said it's a business decision, and that's very true. It is. There's a big difference between being a top ten, top fifteen draft pick and being." 31, 32, second round. Obviously, oh, yeah. there's, a big, there's a big difference between that. So, yeah, it is a bit of a business decision. So, he's weathering. He's thinking to himself, okay, do I go back to college, play well, and be the number one overall draft pick and get a bit, and get my draft stock goes up, I get, I, get a decent, I get a decent amount of money, or do I take the chance of going into this draft and maybe I'm not picked where I want to be? But if he goes out there on his pro days, I don't know if he's – who knows if he'll be ready for the combine – but if he does go out there and kick butt in his pro days and scouts and representatives still think, hey, man, you're still going to be a top 15 draft pick, you'll still get a decent amount of money and you'll still land at a good spot for you to play or at the very least develop, then, yeah, then yeah, maybe he'll maybe he'll say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go to college. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll go to the NFL. So, I, 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 It makes all the sense in the world for him to to enter the NFL draft. It does. He can't go back to college and risk dropping oh, his stock even more. And that was a giant risk for Justin Herbert, too, when he made this decision. Yeah. He, last year, he could have been the number one overall draft pick. And now this year, granted, he's still going to go in the first round. I'm seeing mock drafts that have him at 15. I mean, he probably wouldn't have been the number one draft pick last year anyway because I think Arizona and Kyler Murray was just – like, once they hired Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray was going to be the guy there. Because it was that system fit. Maybe he's a giant then. Maybe Justin Herbert's a giant. Right. Exactly. Or maybe he's somewhere somewhere else because somebody traded in front of the Giants. Washington. Maybe he's in Washington. Whatever. Right? But, like, and like I was saying this before, if Tua went back to Alabama, I have respect for that because it's selfless. He's taking a gamble on himself. He's giving an, giving it another shot at Alabama. I have respect for that, but it is not the best thing for him. 
it wasn't the best thing for Justin Herbert, but I'll be honest, it didn't affect Justin Herbert at all. Justin Herbert's still going to be a top 10 draft pick more than likely. So we'll see. All right, what's next? So the Pelicans, uh, Zion Williamson, his uh, Pelicans coach Alvin Gentry said Zion is itching to come back, but he hasn't begun any on-court work following the surgery uh, that he underwent. God, Evan, it's December. Yeah. And he hasn't even sniffed practicing yet. Yeah, he's not. The work following the surgery, he underwent to repair a torn lateral meniscus. According to Turner Sports' Kristen Ledlow, the timetable of his return will need to be pushed back a bit and definitely fall outside the estimated six to eight weeks. So Zion, That's crazy. Looks like Zion will be out for a little bit more, a little bit longer. Again, they, this was his. This was his thing. Is that size? His body is going to cause injury concern, and that's what's happening. It is causing legitimate injury concern. I, I mean, that's crazy to me. That's beyond me. I, he's actually he's partaking in late walk and light walkthroughs with the Pelicans. That's all. That's what he's doing right now. Light yeah. walkthroughs. I, I don't know. I, I Listen, if he could stay healthy, he is going to be an unbelievable player in this league. But there is that possibility that he just cannot stay healthy. So the Pelicans are 6-15. and 15. They're not going anywhere. You know, it's about it, – I'm not saying shut him down for the season. I'm saying no rush. Take your time. Make sure that when he does get back this season, he's 100% healthy. I know, I'm sure, I know a lot of us wanted to see him week, uh, the first game of the year kick butt, win rookie of the year, all that stuff, right? Long term, right? It's about long term. Right. Make sure he's 100% this season. What If he plays this year, he plays this year. I think he will. I think we all think he's going to play. Right. Take your time. Pelicans aren't going anywhere. When he gets on the court, people are going to show up and they're going to watch him regardless. Because this kid's going to be excited. This kid looks like he's going to be an exciting basketball player for a long, long time. Evan, I can't wait. I am praying to God that he play that he stays healthy oh my god i want him to play i want him to be healthy so bad because if he is oh it is gonna be fun i cannot wait uh all right finally uh the atlanta braves today another another good free agent signing for the braves another big one that they made cole hamels signing with the signing with the braves one year 18 million dollars so the atlanta braves upgrade their bullpen will smith and now they bring in a starting pitcher in cole hamels and he goes back to the national league east where he started off with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's in Atlanta now. So they actually have a lot of good rotation options now with Hamill. So they have Hamels, Soroka, Freed, uh, Fultonavich. Tehran. Uh, Tehran, yeah. Uh, Newcomb. Uh, they, they have, uh, what's that, Bryce Wilson and Tukey Toussaint and guys like that. They've got some nice young pitchers and some rotation options. I I think their rotation's good. I, like, I think that rotation, as of right now, is good. I wouldn't futz with it. If you have to make an addition at the deadline, go ahead. But right now, I, I'm good with it. I think that's a good rotation. I remember there was, a few weeks ago, there was reports that they had mutual interest with, with Madison, Madison Bumgarner. So, I'm wonder, I wonder if this deal means anything on that. Maybe they talked to Bumgarner and they just couldn't. Maybe uh, maybe who knows? Maybe they're still going after Madison Bumgarner, but I'm curious. Well, yeah, maybe they're thinking that maybe they are still going after Bumgarner, but they said, "Hey, listen, if we can nab Cole Hamels right now, yeah, we'll get Cole it. Hamels under our belt already." Let's do it. Yeah, and yeah, let's. Uh, good signing by the Braves. One year deal, low risk, high reward. I mean, yeah. it, this is really good. I like this. I've, I, I think it's. I think it's. Be I, fu- look, 
beef up as much pitching as you can get. And you get depth, right? you get depth in the rotation, and you get a guy who's experienced with the division. You get a guy who knows the division. You get a guy who understands the division. Now he plays the Phillies every year, goes back, plays. I'm going to tell you right now, Evan, I think the Braves are going to be really good. I think the Braves are going to be really good. The pressure's on them this year. The last two, these two years, we kind of said, okay, you lost in the division, the division series. That's okay. You're young and everything else. Now next, now heading into 2020, they kind of have to win a series, right? Now we're in year three of this. Well, if I, this here's what I would do players. if I were the Braves. I would continue to beef up my bullpen. I agree. I would sign more bullpen guys, and I would do what I can to sign back Josh, Josh Donaldson. Donaldson. I would do what I can to sign back Donaldson, and... If I can do those things, I'm ready to roll. I am ready to roll with Albies and Acuna and Freeman and Donaldson, um, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley. Like I, I am ready. I am good to go. I want to. I want to see though if this if this move does take him out of the Bumgarner st- stuff uh, sweepstakes. I'm curious to see how how this does affect them. But yeah, I, I it definitely says all right. Let's just get Cole Hamels now. Just in case if we don't get, just in case if we don't end up getting bug runner, I, I, yeah. I do think it's a decent. I do think it's a good deal for them. Yeah, we'll see. Both. All right, that's the uh, news with our interim Big J journalist Devin Mazza here on a Wednesday. All right, hour number three coming up next. I think that this week we could find ourselves thinking of this NFL team way different than how highly we think of them now, and I'm going to tell you why two attack of Iloa. Past to de- uh, to declare for the NFL draft. That's coming up next. The Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour number three. Here we go. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer here on a Wednesday. Good to have you in. Uh, absolutely loaded today. We have Barrington Grant on. Barrington was great. I, that was a very good interview right there. That was great. Very, very professional interview. I enjoyed that very a good. lot. He was great. He was great. And like you said, and like you said, what'd you say? What'd you say about him? What What did I say, about, say about him? him? He He knew everything. Yes, he's well rounded. Well rounded. He's a well rounded sports personality. Cold, cold. He's not a one trick pony like the rest of the people little, we bring on cold here. Shot right like there. some sort of producer I know. Cold, another another one, man. You're on a roll. <laughs> You're on a roll. That's another one. Or Ray, am I on a Or am I on a bagel? What? Or am I on a bagel? Badum. Cricket sound. Get the little cane hook. Yeah. Don't. And what's the deal with airline food? <clears throat> anyway, uh, plenty of stuff to cover today. I want to begin hour three with this. You know, the NFL is a constantly changing league. We we reevaluate everything on a week to week basis, and the game of the week this past week was. 49ers and Ravens. Ravens ended up winning the game. It was a close game. It absolutely delivered on what was supposed to be a really good game. But again, things are constantly changing in the NFL. We already know the deal with Baltimore. Baltimore's great. 
Best team in the AFC. I think they're the best team in the NFL. They do everything well. They run the football incredibly, uh, incredibly well. They have the MVP at quarterback, a, a great offensive line. They have a great defense that gets after the quarterback and defends the pass, a great secondary, it, it, uh, extremely well coached. The Baltimore Ravens are, are, are the real deal. I don't think anybody is, is disputing that. Now, what's the deal with San Francisco? Here's my thing. San Francisco losing to Baltimore this week is actually a pretty big deal because they go into New Orleans this week. Think about it like this. What happens if San Francisco loses to the Saints in the Superdome this week? We completely shift our opinions on them. San Francisco has to win this weekend. They have to. The 49ers have to get a win against the Saints this weekend. Okay? They are already the five seed in the NFC playoffs. They're not even first place in their division anymore. It's Seattle. But think about what San Francisco's story has been. Extremely well coached. A lot of talent. Firing on all cylinders. So right now, they sit at 10-2. and two. They're high and pretty. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. Here's the problem. They lost at home to Seattle. And they lost on the road to Baltimore. Now they go into New Orleans, and I got a feeling New Orleans is going to win this game. What happens if San Francisco goes into New Orleans and loses? We look at the NFC today as the four best teams in football – Baltimore, uh, I'm sorry, the NFL, Baltimore, Seattle, San Francisco, and New Orleans. That is most people's top four. San Francisco is going to play all three of them this year, and they might lose to all three. Our opinion on the 49ers changes significantly if they lose. This is not a game that they can afford to lose this weekend. And yes, they are still going to be a high-end playoff team, even though that they, they'd be dropping a game. They'd be 10-3. and three. Not a huge deal. But the way we feel about the Niners changes drastically. Now listen, th- this does not mean that I'm out on them. I still think they're incredibly well coached. They're schematically brilliant. They have a lot of talent on offense. They run the football really well. They have the best front seven in football. This is still a very good premier football team. Think, of, think about it. You want to talk about the talent they have? They, they traded for and paid D Ford for a super amount of money, and he's not even their best pass rusher. He's not even their best edge rusher. Nick Bosa, and honestly, DeForest Buckner might be better than D Ford. That's how much talent they have. Solomon Thomas, the number three overall pick, is a rotational player for them. They are firing on all cylinders in the front seven. This is still a very good football team. But they're not winning all the games that they need to win. They are in the upper echelon of teams. But if they lose to New Orleans, can we really say that about them? Losing to Baltimore, losing to Seattle, losing to New Orleans... You have to at least win one of those games. And because they lost the last two, this is the game they have to win. And they're going to get one more crack at Seattle in Week 17 
in Seattle. So it's going to be a tough game. But San Francisco, I think this week on the road in New Orleans, this is a crucial game for them. It absolutely shifts our opinions either way. Because if they win, we're, we're all in. We are in on San Francisco. They can beat anybody. They, this is a team that can go to the Super Bowl. But if they lose to New Orleans, maybe they fall into the, the Green Bays, the Houstons, the Minnesotas, the Kansas Cities, those level of teams. You know, the New Englands, they're, they're in that echelon of team. Okay, they are not in the... Because I, I feel like the four best teams in the NFL right now are pretty clear-cut. Seattle, Baltimore, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Those are the best teams in the NFL. San Francisco this weekend could fall out of that category if they lose to the Saints. They don't want that. And, well, obviously they don't want that, but... They do not want to be looked at differently. They want to be looked at as a premier team. And we're going to see now if they are actually that. So huge game this weekend for San Francisco. I think they have to win it. I want to shift to this. Because I hear people say all the time now that, oh, Tua Tagovailoa has to go back to Alabama. He's gotten hurt. No, 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 no. No. Tua Tagovailoa has to enter the NFL draft. It is not a question. He has to enter the NFL draft. Think about this for a second. Tua is blowing people away in college. He's completing 71.5% of his throws, 33 touchdowns, 3 picks. He is having an unbelievable season in Alabama, and he's proving again and again to people that he's getting better and that he's a special talent. So think about this. The one thing that holds Tua Tagovailoa back is injuries. Nobody questions his talent. There are a lot of people in the NFL that think he's a left-handed Russell Wilson. I don't see that, but there are a lot of teams in the NFL that do. If that's the case then some team is going to spend a first-round pick on him. Oh, by the injuries, he's going to fall out of the first round. No, he is not. No, he is not. We already know that if Cincinnati gets the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow will be the pick. He will be their next franchise quarterback. So he won't go number one. But I still think that there's a chance that he goes top five, top ten, there are going to be opportunities for Tua to impress people. Okay, I don't think that this injury is going to hold him out for next year. I think he's going to come back before the draft. He'll be back at 100% before the draft starts. I think he'll be able to work out for teams. He'll at least be able to throw, whatever. The, the, you, he'll have the opportunity to do those things. So I'm not worried about that at all. But think about if he goes back to college... What if he gets hurt again? Or, even better yet, what if he comes back, but the injury is causing him to not come back as strong, and he doesn't play well? Then what happens to his draft stock? Then it really falls. We have an inkling today that Tua 
might fall in the draft because of the injury history. That is not the case today, in my opinion. There are too many teams that need quarterbacks, right? Let's take out Cincinnati because they're not going to take him. But the Miamis, the Tampa Bays, the Tennessees, the Chargers, those teams that are desperate for quarterbacks, and they view two attack of Iloa when he's healthy as a special player, they will take him with their first-round pick. They will. They will not let the injury bug hold them back. They'll roll the dice and draft the kid. It's a quarterback we're talking about. If this was a defensive end, or this was a corner, or this was an offensive lineman, then absolutely it would affect them. If it was a wide receiver, this would be a different scenario. But this is a quarterback. The teams are taking a risk with the quarterback anyway. They will take him with, the fir- with their first-round pick. I still think Tua could go top five. So there is absolutely no chance that he should go back to Alabama. Now, I also want to bring this up because Justin Herbert, who's going to go in the top ten this year, went back to college for his senior year last year. He didn't have an injury history, but he went back because he wanted to take another shot at the national title with Oregon. Now, at the very same time, I respect him a ton for that. It's selfless. It shows me he te- he's team first. It shows me that he's a buy-in guy. Justin Herbert, I have respect for uh, respect for going back. But I could agree with you that when you said it isn't the best thing for him, he was taking a risk doing it. Now, I if Tua went back, I would have respect for Tua. It's selfless. He's taking a risk. I can respect that. But it is not the best thing for him. It is not even close to the best thing for him. He has to enter the NFL draft. His stock is as high as it will get right now. Still think he goes top five, top ten. We'll see where the injuries take him throughout his career, but I still think he goes in the first round. He'll be somebody's franchise quarterback and a good one if he stays healthy, and those injuries to me are not going to affect affect the team's decision to draft him with a high first-round pick. It just won't happen. They're going to see the special in him, and they're just going to roll with it. They're going to roll with it. So, bad decision for Tua if he were to go back to Alabama. He has to go into the NFL draft this year. Uh, Okay, coming up next, we do this every single Wednesday. We play a game called Is He Worth It? Evan gives me a player and a number value, and I have to tell you if that player is worth it or not. I have a feeling, and I don't, you got to keep in mind, I do not know the players or the numbers beforehand. This is completely organic. So Evan just spews me random players and numbers, and I got to do these on the spot. I'm going to take a gan. I'm going to take a guess and say that there is going to be a lot of baseball in this today. A lot. Major League Baseball free agency is starting. Cole Hamels just signed. He knows me. There's like going. There's going to be a lot of baseball today. He knows me like a book. <laughs> he knows me like a book. I know you like the back of my hand. Oh, that's new. That's new. Yeah. Did you see that? What movie is that from? I know this place uh, like the back of my hand. And then he looks at the back of his hand. Oh, that's new. <laughs> is it a 
I, I think it's an animated movie. I don't remember which one, but oh, it was man. hysterically funny. Wow, we'll I don't see. know. I don't know. Wow. No. What's the line again? He knows me like the back of my. He knows the place. I know like this place like the back of my hand. And then he looks at the back of his hand and he's like, "Oh well, that's new." <laughs> wow. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I have yeah. no idea. By the time we get back from break, I expect an answer on that one. Wow. I should. Say, hmm. I'm gonna. Look, I'll look for an answer on you on that one. All right. I'll look for an answer. I. Yeah, All right. I Is he worth it? Next, Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back, Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, here on a Wednesday. Let's go to the news. Interim Big J journalist Evan Mazzi here on a Wii Sports Wednesday. So Zach Wheeler, when will be free agency, continues. Zach Wheeler is being heavily pursued by teams like the Philadelphia Phillies and the Minnesota Twins. Ken Rosendahl has reported that Wheeler might be signed before the winter meetings. Actually, it could be today. And he is looking to get over $100 million right near Patrick Corbin money. He looks like he's going to get it. And the Phillies and the Twins are in hot pursuit with the Phillies looking like they're the favorites right now to get him. Uh, that would be something the Phillies were to get him. That would take... If the, if the Phillies got Wheeler, that would take them out of Cole and Strasburg, I think. I think that would take them out, wouldn't you say? Astros, John Heyman are reporting, is reporting that the Astros are another team in on Zach Wheeler. Phillies, Reds, White Sox, maybe the Twins now. But yeah, Astros now in the Zach Wheeler sweepstakes. Can I be honest about that, though? I don't know of any player in the world that would want to go play for the Astros right now. Who would sign into that situation? You know what I mean? I understand. I guess you well, if you're a major, if you're a base free agent, right? You I think if you're a free agent, you're still looking at that team as like, yeah, they've been to the World Series a couple of years, numerous ALCS appearances, they've won a title. I, I understand, you know, what I understand what you're talking about. You know, if you you think, okay, why would a free agent want to go there with the cheating stuff going on? What could possibly be the result of all this? We're still waiting on Major League Baseball's announcement of what their punishment's going to be. But I still think if you're a free agent and you get the Astros calling you and saying, hey, we're interested in you, I still think you got to look at it like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to go win. So regardless of everything going on. I mean, teams still sign with the New England Patriots. You know, they, they still went out and got were able to get a Randy Moss and still were able to go get a Stephen Gil, you know, Gilmore. Uh, still were able to sign other players. Wes, you know, Wes Welker. Actually, Welker was a part of it. Randy Moss is also there, too. But, you know, signing other guys. Brandon Lloyd. Um, Benjamin. They brought back Benjamin Watson. You know, it, it hasn't stopped other players from, from going to New England with their, che- with their scandal, cheating scandals like Deflategate or Spygate. So I, it's probably not going to stop other players to go to go to the Houston Astros, you know. I don't know. I I, I mean, I, I Wheeler to the Astros makes sense because they need rotation help. I just don't see it. I really like. I see Minnesota Twins like heavily. Mm-hmm. Like I think the Minnesota Twins are going to get him. That they, they are going to get him. I think Wheeler to the Twins, and it makes sense. They need rotation help, too. They just lost Kyle Gibson to the Rangers. They brought back Jake O'Drizzy, and uh, they brought back Jake O'Drizzy. 
Yeah, I, I think here's the thing with Wheeler. Here's my problem. We're going to give Wheeler over $100 million when he has never shown once. At least Corbin was a number, at least showed he was a number two starter, at least, even maybe an ace. Wheeler's never really shown that. And we're going to give him over $100 plus million? Right. I, he's at best a four or a five. That's why I'm kind of confused at where this. I get, hey. I guess there's, a, there's I'm sure there's, I guess there's a lot of people in baseball who think highly of him, but there's he's 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 good. Wheeler's decent. He's a good pitcher, but he's inconsistent. Over a hundred million dollars? Wow, we're really gonna overpay for him? I guess that's the market. I guess that's the market we're looking at yeah, after after I mean, Cole and Strasburg. I don't know. Over a hundred million dollars for Zach Wheeler? Corbin money? I Guy with that, that injury history. I don't know. Yeah, he's had it's a in- lot of money. He's had injury history. He's You're at right. Best, he's at best a four. I don't know. That's. I don't think he's at best a four. He's probably a good three. He's he's a good three. I'd be all right with that. All right. What's next? Uh, we'll go back to Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera last night uh, was fired from the Carolina Panthers. Spent eight full seasons out of nine. Out of a nine. Four division, three division titles, four playoff yeah. appearances, a Super Bowl appearance, NFC title, two Coach of the Year awards. Uh, we talked about earlier. Yeah, Ron, Ron Rivera is going to have suitors. He's going to be listed about what eight teams: Cleveland Browns, Jacksonville Jaguars, Dallas Cowboys, of course, etc. As teams who who are potential suitors for him, he will have another job. Ron Rivera. Yeah, I think he will too. I think he will too. Uh, there, there's. First of all, he's too good of a coach and too well-respected not to at least get a bunch of interviews. I bet you for as many job openings there are, he's going to interview with every single one of those teams. Every single one. Yeah, and every and those teams will those teams will ask him for an interview. Again, because he, he brings a toughness to an organization, brings a winning mentality, has a good track record. I think, like, and I, I, I feel like he's perfect for a team like Cleveland. He's perfect for a team like the Cleveland Browns. He's perfect for a team like the Atlanta Stability. Falcons. Stability, yeah. He's perfect for a team like Dallas. You know, the Jets, if they decide to move on from Adam Gase. But I think Cleveland would be a great spot for him. Goes in there, helps solidify the defense. Guy's gone to a Super Bowl. Go, yeah, exactly. I got, what was the last? Okay, the Cleveland Browns brought in... What was the last head coach the Cleveland Browns really ever brought in that had past success? Mangini, no. Uh, Holmgren, Mike Holmgren was their president, wasn't their head coach. Pat Shermer, no. Romeo Cornell was an assistant for the Patriots. Like, what was the last time the Browns really brought in a head coach who had as much success as, say, Ron Rivera has? I I can't, Marty Schottenheimer maybe, but that's, for Marty Schottenheimer, I think that was like his first real gig with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, right. You know? But I think this would be a great opportunity for the Cleveland Browns to, if they decide to move on from Freddie Kitchens, bring in someone like Ron Rivera or even Mike McCarthy, and solid just and who players that team. love, by the way. Oh, they love players. Him. Love Ron Rivera. They Greg, love Ron Rivera. Greg Olson had a great Greg Olson had a great tweet and story about about Ron Rivera yesterday. That's you know that's a big one. Players respect him and love him. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I think he's perfect for any situation, but I think Cleveland really should be in on him. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to go to Dallas. I don't think he's going to go to Atlanta. Um, basically, anywhere else is fair game. I don't think I don't think he's going to go to Washington. I'll say that also. 
uh, Washington's going to have to hire somebody that's of the lower tier, I think. That's a really unattractive job. You really gotta, unattractive. That's Washington. Because you got to deal with Dan Snyder. you got to deal with Dan Snyder, but you also have to – you also have to be confident Dwayne Haskins. There's, a, there's this whole thing with Washington, whether they like Dwayne Haskins or not. It really all comes down to whether Washington likes Haskins. And if you're a coach, a young coach or whoever, you're comfortable going into that situation. Or do you like Dwayne Haskins? Do you uh, are, Can you handle Dan Snyder? Can you handle what's going on over there? Nobody's showing up to the games. There's no, ex- there's no excitement to be around there in that team. There's, no, there's nothing there. You know, at least there's something with Cleveland, right? Baker, uh, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, uh, Beckham, etc. At least there's something with, say, the Jets, Sam Darnold. Right. At least there's something with Dallas, Dak Prescott, Zeke, Demarcus Lawrence, right? There's really what, – what's there in Washington that makes you say, yeah, the, if you're a coach, okay, i like to go there. Dwayne Haskins is probably your only one. But right. you have to be fully confident in Dwayne Haskins. You have to put all your chips on the table in Haskins. Everything. You know. I don't know. We'd have to, uh, like I said, Jacksonville and the Chargers make a lot of sense for Ron Rivera. They make a lot of sense to me. And you're right. Cleveland does too. Cleveland does too. You think that (laughs) Ron Rivera would whip Baker Mayfield into shape. I'm serious. Ron Rivera is not, he would not take stuff lightly. He would not. I think also with the Chargers, Ron Rivera. Now he, he gets to draft his own quarterback. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, was was Ron Rivera? Ron Rivera became the head coach of the. Uh, I think 2010. I think he did. Okay, so I yeah, think he, he was with Cam Newton. Newton. He yes. was with Cam Newton. Okay, so okay, that's actually pretty good for the Chargers. Ron Rivera has had has experience drafting. A, you know, having being in the process of, dra- of drafting a yeah. franchise quarterback. Right. Being in that room with Philip Rip with the Chargers and and trying to look for the next guy after Rivers, or even in Jacksonville. Right. I don't know if Gordon Minshew is the future guy. Right. We don't know. Nick Foles, they say they're half confidence in him, but I doubt that. He lasted yeah. less than two and a half to three games. I think mm-hmm. Jacksonville and, and the Chargers would be good spots for him to do what he did in Carolina and look for a, free, a future franchise quarterback like they were able to get in Cam Newton. Right. All right, that's the news. Interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a Wii Sports Wednesday. All right, we do this every single Wednesday. It's called Is He Worth It? Evan gives me a player and a number value i got to tell you whether that player is worth it or not. Evan, here we go. I guessed that it was going to be MLB free agency, a lot of that stuff, and you told me I was right. So, Like I said, you know me like a book. You knew exactly what I was doing. And I'm gonna. it's mostly baseball and a little mix of NBA free agents and see how they're doing, kind of like a has he been worth it kind of thing. So let's get this rolling. Mike Moustakis signed a four-year, $64 million, $16 million average annual salary. Mike, for the Cincinnati Reds, is Mike Moustakis worth it? Uh, I think so, yes. Uh, not only can he hit, but he can also play multiple positions. I think he's going to end up playing second base for the uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. And again, he's good for 30 and 100 pretty much every year, right? I mean, he's a guy that gets on base a good amount. He's a good. He's not a huge strikeout guy, from what I can understand. He's a good player. Uh, I think he's. I, I think he's worth that. Yes. Chicago White Sox, Jose Abreu signed a three-year, $50 million contract, $16 million AAV. Mike, is he worth it? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. So they got him till he's 35. Um, I, I mean, right, he had 33 home runs and 123 RBIs last year. I mean, that's, that's what he did. I mean, he had a phenomenal year last year. 
led the uh, led the American League in RBIs, uh, 284. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm. I gotta say, like he's he's uh, such a good hitter that gets forgotten about a lot. Uh, Jose Abreu, I think, yeah, is absolutely worth that. If I can get 33 and 120 out of him for 16 million dollars a year, yes, I'm in. Travis Darno signed with the Atlanta Braves, catcher, two years, 16 million dollars, eight million AAV for Travis Darno and the Atlanta Braves. Is he worth it? What did he get again? He got two, uh, two years, 16 million dollars, eight million average annual salary. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll I'll go for that. He had a good year last year when he was with um, Tampa. When he was with Tampa, 263, 16 homers, 67 RBIs in Tampa. Um, so uh, if that's the guy that you're paying for, then yes, he's absolutely worth it. I don't know if he starts or if he's the backup in Atlanta now, but Travis Darno, eight, $8 million, uh, yeah, why not? That's not that bad. Let's go to another White Sox big signing. Of course, Yosemite Grandal, four years, $73 million, $18 million AAV. Was he, is he going to be worth it for the Chicago White Sox? You know, I actually don't know. I... He gets on base a lot. He does have a lot of power for a catcher. He's a switch hitter. But $18 million is a lot of money. I'm going to say... You know what? I'll say yes, he's worth it. The White Sox got a good deal with Grandal. Switch hitting catcher with power. He gets on base a lot. I, I, yeah, he's worth the, that $18 million. He's one of the He's one of the better catchers in the game. Go to the Oakland A's. They re-signed Jake Diekman. Two years, $7 million. AAV, $3 million. Is he worth it for the Oakland A's? I don't know. I don't know. He really did not have a great year last year, a 4.65 ERA. How much did they sign him for again? Two years, $7 million. For $3.5 million, bucks, I'd probably say he's worth it. Yeah, that's not that bad. I, I would take that. Lefty specialist. He's so much better against lefties than he is against righties. And if you can get him back into the form that he was at two years ago with Texas, then I think it'll be worth it. Then you just gotta—he's gotta come back out of the out of the mess, you know, that he's in now. He's got to get back to his old ways. Kyle Gibson to the Texas Rangers. He signed a three-year, thirty million dollar deal, ten million dollars AAV. Is he worth it? Kyle Gibson to the Texas Rangers. You know, Kyle Gibson is actually okay. He had a bad year last year. Ten million dollars. I probably wouldn't go that high. I'm going to say no. He's not worth it. But it, it it is very close. I do not think that this is something that's way out of the realm. But Kyle Gibson, that is a lot of money. That is a lot of money for Kyle Gibson. For a guy that had a 4.84 ERA last year, he's going to be 32. I don't know, 10 million bucks is, is a lot. At the best, he's your four starter. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not in love with it. Let's go back to, let's go to the Milwaukee Brewers for a second. Let's go to one of their signings last year, Lorenzo Kane. He's apparently available in trade talks, so a team will have to take in this contract. Five years, $80 million, $16 million average annual salary. Are the Brewers selling? Like, they, they let everybody they? go. Moustakas Maybe? is gone. Grandal's gone. Uh, Travis Shaw's gone. Jimmy Nelson, Zach Davies, Trent Grisham. Like, Kane, all of their the guys are gone. Kane. Lorenzo Cain's on the on the market. Yeah. 
and they let, let go of Jesus Aguilar last year. I mean, they're letting everybody go. It's interesting. Everybody. Too. It's interesting too. Junior Guerra's gone. They're trying to trade Josh Hader. I mean, they are letting everybody go. It's interesting. Uh, and I, I look at Milwaukee and I'm like, all right, you got great offense. Now just go get you some pitching and you can and you can make a series run at the World Series. Now they don't. Now they can't. Like it, it's it's basically Yelich and especially if they trade Kane. Yeah, that's another bat out of the lineup. So, so Lorenzo Kane, what? Five years, eighty million, sixteen million AAV. Yes, Lorenzo Kane's worth that. Speed, defense in the outfield, uh, also can hit a little bit. He's a good leadoff hitter. Uh, I, I, yeah, Lorenzo Kane's worth that. I guess the real question for Kane plus is, good locker room guy. I guess the real question with Kane is how much are you willing to trade for him? Prospects, big leaguers. How much are you willing to trade for him? He's worth probably a top 100. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that he's worth a top end top 100, but he's probably worth a team. One of the team. You know, maybe a team's one of a team's better prospects. Maybe. Let's go to San Diego Padres. Drew Pomerez. He signed a four-year, thirty-four million dollar deal with, to go back to the San Diego Padres. AAV of eight million. Is he worth it? Drew Pomerez and the Padres. I don't think so, no. Drew Pomeranz really has not been great. Uh, ever since he got traded to Boston a couple of years ago, he really has not been that good at all. He really hasn't. 6.08 in 2018, a 4.85 this year. Out of the bullpen last year, he was actually pretty good. But I, I don't I don't know. It, it depends on how they're using him. If they use him out of the bullpen, then okay. But if they plan on trying to stretch him out a little bit, I, I don't I don't think it's a good move at all. Atlanta signed Will Smith to a three-year, thirty-nine million dollar contract, AAV of thirteen million dollars to to improve to uh, improve their bullpen. Will Smith to Atlanta is he, Will Smith worth it for Atlanta? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is this is a good one. Uh, he's been phenomenal over the past number of years. Um, going to Atlanta, I think this is a really really good move for him. Uh, and I think the Braves are kind of getting a they're getting a bargain I think they are getting a bargain here uh, this guy is really worth his money great closer uh, he's going to give them a good amount of saves every single year uh, if he is the closer uh, this is this is a good one I, I, I'm in I am in on Will Smith staying in Atlanta Georgia Kel, Cole Hamill signing a one year $18 million contract now of course we don't have the average annual salary yet but one year is $18 million for Cole Hamels and the Braves. Well, is he worth the, it? A- the average AAV is going to be $18 million. Yeah, right. Because one year $18 million deal. $18 million. Right, right, right. You're right. But, but is he worth it? Uh, yeah, you know what? I would say that he's worth it. $18 million. I think he's good enough to be your three starter probably right now. Uh, last three, uh, last two years, he's been... Um, he's been under a four ERA at a 3.81 last year with the Cubs. Gave him 27 starts. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Cole Hamill's still pretty good. Uh, staying with Cole, staying with the Atlanta Braves for a quick second. Ken Rosendahl is just reporting that the Braves' decision to sign Hamill's does not take them out of the mass in Bumgarner's sweepstakes. Uh, but, he writes, it reflects the market for him and others might exceed their comfort level. So it does not take them out of the running for mass in Bumgarner. Wow. Huh. So I thought it would. I thought it would. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it won't. All right. Interesting to note there. So let's go to the NBA. So far this year, let's see if some of these players are worth it. Let's first start with your favorite, Kyrie Irving. Four years, $136 million, AAV of $34 million. So far for the Brooklyn Nets, is he worth it? 
I actually don't think so. And I love Kyrie Irving. So far, he hasn't been worth the money. He's been hurt a little bit. Whenever he plays, he's kind of ball-centric. I'm going to say no, actually. He actually hasn't been worth it. Miami Heat, Goran Dragic opted into his five-year deal, $90 million contract with Miami this year, AAV of $17 million. Opted into that contract so far for the Heat. Has it been worth it? No. No, Dragic is... Dragic does not play a lot of... He doesn't get a lot of minutes with Miami. He's he's turned into a bench guy. I he I don't think he's worth that money anymore. I'd be surprised if he was worth double digits. He's gotten a lot slower. He's been hurt a little bit. That Dragic just kind of feels like he's really digressing. So no, he's not worth it. Another guy who signed a pick contract contract with uh, a team this year. Ben Simmons signed a four-year, twenty-six million dollar deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. Six million AAV so far for Philadelphia this year. Is he worth it? He's getting how much? $26 million, $6 million AAV. That's, all, that's it? No way. No, he signed a huge extension. Didn't he? Ben Simmons signed a huge extension. $6 million AAV does not make sense. I'm reading here an average annual salary of $6 million. Really? Yeah. If, if it's only $6 million bucks, then yeah, he's worth that. Hang on. Or maybe I got the wrong contract. Nope, okay, you're right. I got the wrong contract. It's a $170 million contract extension. Oh, see there? Yeah, this, I got the, here I we got go. his rookie deal. <laughs> Five years, $170 million. So. I got his rookie deal. <laughs> so that AAV is what? Like, it's a little over, it's about 35-ish. Yeah. I was because I looked on Spot Track when I was looking at Ben Simmons and I saw the deal and I was like, oh okay, I thought it was bigger too. But yeah, I guess I got, I guess I accidentally got his rookie deal. <laughs> uh no, I don't think Ben Simmons is worth that either. Ben Simmons to me has to become a better scorer of the basketball. Like when you play the 76ers offensively, you're kind of playing four on five because Ben Simmons does not shoot the basketball. You know, it isn't like he can't shoot that you have to guard him. He doesn't shoot the basketball. You can lay off him a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's worth that. No. Is he in the? Is he probably in the 20s? Yes. 30s? No. Jimmy Butler. He signed a four-year, $140 million deal with Philadelphia. AAV of $35 million. Carried that contract over to Miami. So far for Miami, is he worth it? Yeah, I think so. Actually, Jimmy Butler's played really well for the, uh, for the Heat. Heater in contention right now. They're at the top of the Eastern Conference. They're playing really well right now, and Jimmy Butler's at the root of that. I, I think, yeah, he is He is worth that. JaVale McGee of the L.A. Lakers. He signed a two-year, $8 million deal with L.A. Uh, AAV of $4 million so far for, for JaVale McGee through two years now. Is he worth it? I think so. As crazy as that sounds, JaVale McGee has actually played really well. That good rim protector. He's been a very solid rebounder. He's been very efficient from the field as a scorer. Uh, good athlete. I, I love it. I, I think he fits the Lakers perfectly. He's absolutely been worth it. All right, give me one more. So far, Boston Celtics, Kemba Walker. He signed a four-year, $140 million deal with the... Oh, I apologize. He signed with the... Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? There he is. Signed a contract with the Boston Celtics. It's a $39 million. Why am I losing it? $39, $32 million contract with the Boston Celtics. $103 million guaranteed so far for Boston. Is he worth it? 
Yes. Yeah, Kemba Walker's worth it. He's worth it. I. Boston is so much freer of a team now. They move the ball better. They just... It's much more comfortable. Brad Stevens can coach again. Boston's one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the culture is there. He's absolutely worth it, yes. All right, so there we go. That's Is He Worth It? Every Wednesday. We've had a very busy Wednesday today. Barrington Grant, winners and losers. We've had a very busy Wednesday. Uh, and we had some uh, some breaking news in the show today. Cole Hamels signing a one-year, $18 million deal with the Atlanta Braves yeah, usually, uh, broke us- during the show today. Usually the breaking news happens like 10 minutes after we uh Yeah, isn't that show. funny? It's usually Yeah, after- watch. As soon as we stop, Zach Wheeler's going to sign with somebody, and it's <laughs> ridiculous. Like, All right. Like, that, like, like when I saw the Daniel Jones news today, I was like, huh, usually that, something like that happens after, like right after we're Yeah, done. right. <laughs> All right, Evan Mazza, my producer. I'm Mike Guido. This is the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.